0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers are through their second roster cutdown. Who's in, who's out, and what does it mean? Let's talk about it. Then, a couple of key position battles will shape the last week of training camp. Let's check in on how things are going on both the offensive and defensive line. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a lot to cover today. Cutdown day has just ended. We've got a second preseason game under our belts and we've got to talk about chapter 18 of Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. So let's get right to it. Uh, Packers are finished with the second round of cuts. So far they have released three players, traded one, and put one more on injured reserve. Let's start with the guys that they've cut so far. First and foremost, Kamal Martin. We've been saying this has been a possibility since news of his position switch came. Now it is a reality. Boy, how much of a difference a year makes. He was running with the ones at this point last year. Though you got to wonder if that would have been going on if there were preseason games or things like that, if that would have shaken out the same way. Ultimately, it didn't really come to much fruition during the season because he injured his knee late in training camp and spent most of the early part of the season um working his way back from that. It just never really looked natural for him though. It was not a good fit. Uh he was too raw against the run and didn't really live up to his billing as a coverage linebacker. On top of that, he was hurt when they drafted him, and then he got hurt again in training camp. That's a a tough way to make an NFL career. Next up, uh, I feel like we should talk about Daniel Crawford. This is not in order, but uh, it's the next thing I wanted to talk about. Had a tough road to hoe here. Um, A tight end in a very crowded tight end room, an H-back behind a third-round pick, Another third-round pick who arguably plays that same role, a guy who was pretty effective in that role last year. I'm talking about Deguara, Sternberger, and Dominique Daphne in order there. For a guy who isn't a super elite athlete, it's going to be tough to find a role there. And he didn't find one, and now here we are uh, on the outside looking in. Finally, Josh Avery is the third of the three guys released. It was basically him, Jack Heflin, Tyler Lancaster, and Willington Prevalon all fighting for probably what amounts to one roster spot. If you look ahead of them on the depth chart, you've got uh, Kenny Clark, obviously. You've got Dean Lowry. You've got Kings of the Kiki, And you've got 2021 draft pick TJ Slayton. If they keep six, that would be a big stretch. They're probably going to keep five. So it really comes down to those four guys fighting for one spot. Lancaster's got the incumbent boost there. Prevalon is pretty familiar, though he never made it into a game last year. He was onto the 53-man roster from the practice squad a couple times, and Jack Heflin has played pretty well. That leaves Avery on the outside looking, looking in, although that it still is a little bit of a surprise given how athletic he is. He's an elite tester. It just didn't show up on the field. So those are your three cuts. Kadar Holman gets the trade, not the axe. He gets shipped out of town via trade, This one, a little bit of a surprise to me personally. Well, surprising on one hand. He is a 2019 draft pick. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's got good value on special teams, played 165 snaps on special teams in 2020. It kind of just looks like he lost out to an even bigger special teams diehard than Isaac Yadam. But there's even no guarantee that he's going to make the roster too. So I guess that shows you where Holman was in in the pecking order here. And Uh, wisely takes the opportunity to get something instead of nothing for a guy that he isn't going to keep around. Uh, he is off to Houston for a seventh round pick. It sounds like not even a conditional pick, which is a, a great win for the Packers. There, just getting something again for nothing. And Kylan Hill is showing this year exactly what you can get in the seventh round. It's, it's not nothing there. Uh, and the Packers get something for Holman. Uh, even more interesting, they traded him to Houston So functionally, you have a sixth round pick and Kadar Holman going to Houston for Randall Cobb and a seventh round pick. I don't know how the Packers don't win that hands down. Let's keep trading things to Houston and see what else breaks our way. Finally, uh, Will Redmond has ended up on injured reserve. I'm trying to not be overly joyous about this because of, you know, what it means for him personally, but it's been well known on this podcast that Redmond is a bit of a sore spot for me. I I do not see the attraction there. He's been fine on special teams, but the Packers seem overly committed to trying to make him into something he's not. And what he is not is your number three safety. And team after team after team after team exploited that over the past two years. Now here we are. Will Redmond on injured reserve, since he's gone on injured reserve in the preseason, he cannot come back this season. I think that's just as well. Let's catch up a little bit on uh, preseason game number two and uh, just some general training camp stuff as the Packers head into their final week uh, of training camp uh, prior to getting ready for week one. To me, it was really hard to draw much from this fourth preseason game for a couple reasons. First, we didn't have Jordan Love, so you're not seeing what the Packers would like to see with their quote-unquote number one offense, such as it is. Uh, their top preseason offense, I guess. They don't have the guy they would like to have running it, running the show. So that's a a big problem there. Beyond that, this team just appears to be so deep and they have so many spots set already. How much are you getting out of this that is going to actually matter for the regular season? It's not going to be a whole lot just because there's not going to be a whole lot of guys who are actually on the roster playing this year. But I've got four takeaways. First, Kurt Benkert, looks competent, but is clearly no more than a depth piece. I think you can look real good in the preseason and also look like a guy that you would want nowhere near any significant playing time in the regular season. It'd be nice to have a guy like him on the practice squad. I wouldn't sweat over this all that much if I was the Packers. Yep, he's looked pretty good in the preseason, but I wouldn't take it as some big loss if they tried to sneak him through and he ended up elsewhere. Maybe back in Atlanta, they they need some quarterback help there. Uh, and he has some familiarity there. Uh, he's been there before. If the Packers, what I'm saying is, if the Packers end up in a situation where Kurt Bankert is a real option, the season is over anyway. Just cash it in get a high draft pick. Don't worry about it. Um, so I I don't want us to get caught up in the third-round pick or third, round, third quarterback Taysom Hill drama. Kurt Bankert is not Taysom Hill. Uh, there are other players like Kurt Bankert out there. You could find another one if you need one. The only thing that you're losing out on is an off season, in your program and a training camp with your team. You can duplicate Kurt Bankert or somebody else sooner or later. And if you get to the point, like I said, where he has to play um, meaningful snaps in a game anyway, just cash it in. Uh, I thought Malik Taylor played much better. Perhaps I overact- overreacted a little bit to the first game. These things happen. Uh, but he looked, I thought at least, more in control in this one than he did in the first game. Just looked more confident in his routes, more confident in his catches, reminding us that he has some very, very solid athletic ability and uh, could show some really nice things here over the final week of training camp. I'm also kind of wondering if um, the Packers might just ride it out at this point. If they're going to keep seven receivers, why don't they keep their five locks? Malik Taylor is their number six special teams guy, and then the seventh can be Devin Funchess, and then you've got six receivers plus Malik Taylor to play receiver and special teams. If they're going to go that route, I would bet that's, that's probably getting some pretty significant uh, consideration. At this point, you might as well hold Juwan Winfrey out of that final preseason game and see if you can't sneak him through the practice squad. Jack Heflin looks like the real deal. We've talked about that a little bit, really. We'll talk about him a little bit more here in a second. It seems the question isn't whether or not he can play. It's that it's whether he can play more than the other linemen on the roster. The effort is great. He's not a great athlete, but he's a big body. Uh, and the, the effort really makes up, I think, for a lot of that athleticism at the position that he's playing. We'll circle back to Heflin here in a second. Actually, just talk about it right now. Uh, he talked to the media today. Uh, and had some really good things to say. I'm going to play you a long quote here, but I think it's a good one because I'm at the point with Heflin where I'm wondering to myself, how can you not root for a guy like this? Uh, Just take a listen on his backstory and how he got to this point.
1: I started off um, at Northern Illinois University. Uh, Out of high school, I had zero offers. Um, So I walked on to Northern Illinois, um, made a career out of that, I mean, Got a scholarship in a year there. Just through hard work. Great staff with Coach Carey. They're at Temple now, and then, um, and then with the whole COVID thing coming up, got a new staff. Thomas Hammett. They're doing a great job there, coaching their guys up. But with the COVID year, it was going. You know, I heard rumors, conference only. Um, graduating, I wanted to play the big. I mean, being from a small school, you had to play the big teams. So I wanted to play in the big schools, and then. Going right on the Iowa Illinois border, I grew up a diehard Hawkeye fan, rooting for him every Saturday. Um, so when I got into the portal and Coach Bell contacted me, it was basically it was a done deal. I was just waiting on the offer from Coach Ferris, and I know exactly where I was when I got the offer from him and asked him right on the spot. I'm like, "Is this committable?" And he said, "Yep." So I'm like, all hey, right, coach from Hawkeye, let's do it." Just right there, and that's how I ended up at Iowa. And I had the best year of my
0: life. Again, how do you not root for a guy like that? Small school, no attention at a high school, get an opportunity just because of the pandemic, really, to say, I want to go try and do something else. I want to try and play at one of those big schools one of these days. You get an opportunity to play for the school that you grew up rooting for, and now you're in the NFL. What a story, and I hope it keeps going for him uh, because he's been a really fun story to watch this preseason, kind of coming out of nowhere. Uh, As far as takeaways from the the last preseason game or the the previous preseason game, I should say, uh, really not a lot to say on Kylan Hill other than this. This is Kylan Hill's world, and we are just living in it. Nobody else has a shot at the number three running back job. It's just a question of whether or not the Packers want to keep four. Beyond that, he's the guy, even though Dexter Williams looked good, in spurts on saturday even though he looked like he had a little bit of juice in the return game it's over shut it down it's kylan hill uh he can do it all he can run he can catch passes he can pass block it's good it's good stuff that's all we need to see from kylan hill he got the job sir general training camp stuff uh we heard from kevin king today for the first time since the nfc championship game kevin king boy he is complicated man um I don't recall ever having sat down and listened to him talk before. But sitting down today or standing there at the podium uh, at Lambeau Field, he talked for just about 20 minutes, answered just about every question. And it, at least for me, it was hard to not come away liking him a lot more. You still wish he would do a lot more on the field, but I can see why people like him a lot in the building. He seemed really mature. He seemed to have a really good grasp on who he is as a player. He understands he has some, some shortcomings. But what really jumped out to me was his perspective on his fight for a roster battle with Eric Stokes. He answered several different versions of the question and basically just boiled down to, hey, I'm going to do the best that I can. I know what I can offer. Uh, I'm not going to you know, stop coaching him up. Uh, I'm just going to come out here and do my best. Uh, this version of it i think was was the best representation of what he said
1: he didn't ask to come here you know what i'm saying how how that works he didn't just say oh like all right yeah they they need a corner over there let me come here you know what i'm saying and and, and even if that was the case that you know what i'm saying that's that's fine but i, I have the utmost confidence you know um in, in what i can do you know i you know i'm 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 going to be one of the top players in this league you know and and nobody can take that from me, you know what I'm saying? I just got to do my part, you know what I'm saying, figure out how to make that happen.
0: Even if he doesn't end up being one of the best players in the league, which I think reasonable people can disagree there. Um, he may say that he wants to be one of the best players in the league. We can say, okay, well, through three years, uh, you have shown pretty much that you are not. Uh, but good on him for believing that. I mean, if, if he thinks he can be one of those guys, go out and get it. And if he is not intimidated by a first-round pick uh, at the position that he plays, shoot, I'm not going to tell him that he has to sit there and be sad about it. Uh, But good stuff. Um, He didn't own the NFC Championship game situation quite as hard as I think he probably could have. But still, uh, hard to not come away uh, with a little bit at least of a different appreciation for Kevin King uh, than I had before. In a bit more of a downer headline, the Packers seem to be pretty concerned about Zadarius Smith. I uh, told you to keep an eye on this a couple weeks back. Now keep an even closer eye on it because it looks like he may be in doubt for week one. The quote from Matt LaFleur, yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sh- quite sure when we'll get Z back. He's injured right now. I know he wants to be out there, but we're going to be smart all- with him. He's a big-time player for us. Yeah, it's definitely a concern. Uh, concluded that way before going on to say that they weren't sure they were going to have him in the lineup for week one. Suddenly, without Zadarius Smith, the edge rusher group looks a lot different because instead of having two solid guys at the top, you've got Rashawn Gary, who has been ascending but not quite there for his first two seasons in Green Bay, and Preston Smith, who remains Preston Smith. A big question mark if there ever was one. And then beyond those guys, pretty sparse. Jonathan Garvin, Tipa Naliyai, I mean... It's it's rough beyond that. Uh, maybe Carlo Kemp gets a look, uh, depending what the Packers want to do on their back end. But beyond Gary and Preston Smith, I always forget the Preston. Well, I sometimes forget the Preston is his first name, not his last name. Uh, but beyond those two, it's it's a bunch of nobodies. Not to say they aren't talented, physically gifted guys, but this this should be a big screaming concern for the Packers heading into Week One. Jordan Love back at practice, not much to report there, but notable. Uh, hopefully he gets a lot of reps here in, in the third week of the preseason. Finally, we've talked a little bit about the defensive line. Let's talk about that interior offensive line battle. Continuing on right now, it looks like if you had to rank the four contenders in order, at least at the guard spots, it looks like it's Royce Newman, John Runyon Jr., Lucas Patrick, and Ben Braden. But that's a pretty tight group of four. Uh, Patrick gets a little bit of a boost elsewhere because he can step in at center. Braden gets a little bit of a boost elsewhere because he can step in at tackle. But in terms of the peer guards, it looks like it's Newman and Runyon. We talked a little bit about this last week. Packers would be going into week one with two rookie starters on their offensive line for the first time since 2006. But if they can make it work, that's 40% of your offensive line set for quite a while because it's hard to imagine they'll feel worse about these guys as their career goes on if they're willing to start them in week one of their rookie season. it's Getting a little bit crowded. It's going to be interesting to see what the Packers do um, as things come down the pike here, as they try to fit all of these guys onto the roster. And don't forget about Dennis Kelly. He uh, he has a part to play here as well. The Packers didn't sign him just to cut him. Um, so that is going to, to factor in here as well. Uh, this is a good problem to have. And we haven't even talked about Cole Van Lannan, another draft pick for the Packers who is in kind of a similar boat to Newman, Uh, can do a lot of things up front. And Packers like guys that can do a lot of things up front. So we'll see what they do. Before we dive into our book discussion, I wanted to take a second and shout out patrons Mark Walker, JJ, and Dr. Hillbilly. Each of these three fine individuals joined our Patreon support this year, and we are grateful to have them around. Uh, Thank you for your continued support, and thank you for all that you do uh, to help this show continue running. Uh, we've added a new tool, got a got an iPad for the, the podcast studio here, and we're using that to play some of the exterior sound that you've heard here, and we're looking to do a lot more of that, definitely going to um, streamline uh, our editing process. And your support at the PowerSweep or at patreon.com slash the Sweep went a long way towards making that happen. And uh, we want to continue to give back to you as well. And part of our relationship with our patrons is we invite you to be in our Discord server, a private chat for everybody who is, uh, helping us do what we do here. If you haven't checked that out, I would encourage you to do that. If that sounds of interest to you again, patreon.com slash the power sweep us at any level, and you will be invited to join us there. We're also looking to ramp up the bonus Patreon content that we do starting with monthly AMA style, uh, ask me anything style mailbags, uh, as well as just looking at, um, some more topics in depth, uh, writing while so uh, writing wise. So look forward to that. And I look forward to serving you and uh, continuing this relationship with our listeners however we can throughout the 2021 season. All right, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, Chapter 18. We're continuing the defensive theme here with Tim Layden. He is talking about the zone blitz. Overall impression of this chapter, uh, throughout this book, we've talked about how football is about players and not plays. And it's great to talk about plays, but it's even better to have players to run your awesome plays. But this seems like a good example of plays, not players. So Bill Walsh and his West Coast offense are tearing up the NFL. What do we do? Well, what Dick LeBeau did is didn't find out or didn't sit down and say, all right, how do we get some really good players to counter what Bill Walsh is doing? He started figuring out new ways to use the players he had to slow down this offense. And dropping people essentially randomly into coverage while bringing other people on a blitz from elsewhere, no matter who those players are, that seems like a pretty good way to mess up this short passing, timing based offense that is the West Coast offense. Dick LeBeau, for what it's worth, has had an absolutely fascinating career. It's over now, he's retired. Uh, but if they gave out Hall of Fame entrenchments for lifetime achievements, he'd definitely get in. Except. He already went in as a player, had a 13-year NFL career, made three Pro Bowls with second-team All-Pro twice. Then he coached for more than 40 years as as a head coach and an assistant, won two Super Bowls, doing all that, and is generally regarded as one of the great innovators in the latter part of the 20th century on the defensive side of the football. That is a Hall of Fame career. He shaped the game of football. It's also interesting to note that the Bengals were a year removed of having Paul Brown, Bill Walsh, and Dick LeBeau all on the same staff in Cincinnati. Paul Brown as coach-slash-owner there throughout the 70s and into the 80s. Uh, Bill Walsh would have been the offensive coordinator, and Dick LeBeau would have been the defensive coordinator. But Bill Walsh leaves after the 79 season. Dick LeBeau comes in in 1980 with Forrest Gregg, of all people. And uh, Paul Brown just continues there for as long as he did his thing. Uh, Finally, I love the phrase safe pressure that uh, LeBeau used to describe his defense. What a great description of what the zone defense does. Um, You want to bring pressure in a way where you can get home, but you want to do it in a way that doesn't expose you to all of the things you're scared about as a defense, particularly in this instance, all the things that the West Coast offense does especially well. It's kind of an odd phrase, I'll admit. For a defense built on blitzing, blitzing sounds like this. Well, it is. It, it doesn't just sound like it. It's it. It is this aggressive, take the the fight to them sort of approach, you know. Built on a, a German word for war, uh, a specific kind of war. Um, if you are a German scholar, and that's not exactly what it means, I understand that I'm referring to the Blitzkrieg in in World War Two. I think you understand what I am getting at. Uh, it means lightning, right? Lightning war. Anyway. Um, Built on an aggressive sounding term, but yet safe and very systematized. It's not just the mad dogs, you know, turning it loose and going after the quarterback. It's cerebral, it's structured, it's systematic, and that is both why it succeeds and why it fails. I think if you looked at Dom Capers' version of this in Green Bay, and we'll talk about Capers here in a second in relation to this chapter, sometimes it was almost overly conservative. It was so complicated that it ended up being simplistic and overly safe, and teams just sat back and picked it apart. They knew where all the pressures were coming from despite that sophistication, and it just shredded the Packers' defense again and again and again. Speaking of those Packers' connections, two pretty significant ones. Dick LeBeau, obviously, he coached for the Packers for one season, then worked with uh, Forrest Gregg in Cincinnati before Greg ended up in Green Bay as the, the head coach there, I gotta wonder what would have happened with the Packers, with Dick LeBeau, with Forrest Gregg, if Greg had brought LeBeau to Green Bay with him as his defensive coordinator. Just an interesting what-if in Packers history there. And secondly, Dom Capers. He learned and developed the zone blitz both from and with Dick LeBeau, and ended up working in Green Bay. Uh, I would strongly recommend heading over to footballxos.com and tracking down Dom Capers' defensive playbook from his time with the Carolina Panthers. It is about the pinnacle example of what a good playbook should look like. It lays out his philosophy. It lays out his expectations for players. It lays out his defense, which is enormously complicated in ways that are easy to understand. You can find yourself drawing things out of it. Dom Capers' It's going to sound weird to hear this, considering how it ended in Green Bay. Dom Capers is a much better coach than I think a lot of people realize. Just because it didn't always work, just because the game kind of passed him by down the stretch in Green Bay, doesn't take away from the things he did accomplish as a coach in the NFL. Very smart guy. Uh, Whenever he talked in Green Bay, I felt like I learned something when I listened to him. Um, And his defense did work pretty well in Green Bay. Of course, he had a lot of elite players to run it, but they went from having those same players and being just okay on defense to having a lot of those same guys and being really, really good in Green Bay. It worked in Green Bay. And if you want to talk about the zone blitz and what it can bring to your team, well, B.J. Rodgers, pick six in the NFC Championship game, was at least in part a zone blitz because he ends up dropping back into coverage and Caleb Haney is more than happy to oblige and hit him right between the nine and the zero and send the Packers to the Super Bowl. So I've got for you on this episode, appreciate you listening in. I appreciate all your support, both downloaded wise and uh, financial through Patreon and just being a bunch of good people to talk Packers with. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to uh, going through this season with you, whatever it may bring. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, I would encourage you to share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That is the number one way we grow by getting more people involved in, um, in downloading the show, listening to what we're doing and, and reacting to it. Uh, So please do that. Share it whatever way you think uh, your friends would enjoy it the most. If you want to share a podcast link, you can do that. If you want to share a YouTube link, you can do that. If you want to just have me show up outside their house and live read an episode, well, we could talk about that. Maybe check out the Jeff Bezos vanity tier on on Patreon, and uh, we'll see if we can work something like that out. But I appreciate everybody who listens, and I appreciate your continued support and work, and I appreciate you joining this conversation with me conversation, conversation, conversation with me about the Packers, because that ultimately is how all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.